It's like a 360 degree management system for people who are ultra wealthy. Because if they make a 1% mistake on their taxes, it could cost them a million dollars and that could have paid for a full-time team. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. From Los Angeles, I'm Red Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. If you're new to the show, then welcome, welcome, welcome. I know you're going to get some cracking information out of this show. And if you're a returning listener, then thank you for your loyalty and commitment. Let's get into today's show. The topic of today's show is understanding what is a family office and how I can get them to invest in my deals. <laughs> but the expert in the hot seat today to answer all my questions and give you all the straightforward information and advice is Richard Wilson. G'day, Richard. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Reed. So guys, for those of you who don't know who Richard is and what he does, let me tell you a little bit more. Richard helps high net worth families worth $100 million or more create and operate their single family offices. And he currently manages 14 clients, including mandates with three billionaire families. That's with a B. Um, Richard is also the CEO of the single family office worth over $500 million in real estate assets and liquidity. He's also the founder of the Family Office Club, which is the largest association in the family office wealth management industry. He's also the author of one of the top selling books on Amazon within the wealth management category called The Single Family Office, Creating, Operating and Managing Investments of a Single Family Office. And to top it all off, Richard is also the host of a podcast appropriately named The Family Office Podcast. You can find it anywhere where you guys podcast. So Richard, pretty incredible list of achievements. You definitely are a massive go-getter. So so well done, mate. But um, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of understanding Understanding what is a family office? Can you tell us something that most people might not know about you, unrelated to being a successful entrepreneur? Most of my life, I lived in Portland, Oregon, and I grew my business and got big momentum on it while living in Portland, Oregon. You know, some people think, "Oh, you got to move to New York if you want to work in finance." And I just kind of made my way into the space by working for free to get my first position and just prove myself until I had a formal job offer from the company. So I think. You know, just a misconception of the finance space is you have to do X to get Y, and really you can create your own luck and your own position at companies just by, you know, just willing yourself into the space. Really. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, with that being said, I want to know a little bit more about your background and, you know, the man behind the empire. So how did you, where did you start from, and how did you get started in the family office industry? I grew up around my father, uh, raising over a billion dollars from ultra-wealthy families and high-net-worth individuals for hospitals and universities. He had his own business helping large nonprofits with their donor base and, and telling those stories. So I grew up around that in an entrepreneurial family and it started, you know, five businesses before I got out of high school and most of just lost money. But, you know, between lawn mowing and, you know, trying to sell, you know, the parents of my friends in high school by calling through the school directory and cold calling the parents, trying to sell them long distance telephone service to, you know, other, other radio based pictures. So anyways, like in college, I started a few businesses and one started making decent money. And when I got out, I ended up doing risk consulting, which paid really well, and it paid for my MBA in cash as I went, but it was very boring as it sounds. 
So um, I decided, you know what? I uh, had my MBA done at age 23, and I said uh, I want to do something where it doesn't matter that I, you know, look like a kid. I want to get paid based on what I get done. So a meritocratic type position. And so I decided commercial real estate or raising capital for hedge funds. And I went the capital raising route and moved to Boston. And in short, I just found that while meeting with family offices and speaking to them, that almost nobody was being a helpful provider or thought leader in the space. And I just looked completely backwards because the family office niche is only $400 million plus families or billion dollar plus families to have a single family office or at least 20 or $50 million net worth families on the multifamily office side, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, there's 500 books on wealth management, which is a less valuable niche to be known as the expert in. So I just thought, wow, this is a, an opportunity to make the whole space more efficient and um, you know, just be helpful and position myself as, as the expert in that space. Fantastic. And so, you know, let's, let's, let's get dive straight into it because I think you just covered some, some great little uh, topics just then you sort of, you know, alluded to. For those people out there listening, you know, who may not know what a multi, uh, sorry, what a family office is, do you want to just sort of explain to them what is it, how it works and, and how your role as an advisor works? So in short, there's only two main types of family offices. There's a single family office. You know, if you read, sell your podcast for $300 million, mm-hmm. you'll now be wealthy enough. You might not want to go down the street to Bank of America, you know, Merrill Lynch Connect and have them managing your money and mutual funds. Like you might want to have your own full-time team that's holistically managing your whole balance sheet, your whole financial picture, and they're coordinating between your CPA, your, you know, insurance advisor, your wealth advisor, the direct investments you're making into apartment buildings, the other podcasts now that you might be acquiring or other businesses. So it's like a 360 degree management system for people who are ultra wealthy, because if they make a 1% mistake on their taxes, it could cost them a million dollars and that could have paid for a full-time team um, alone. So a multifamily office is simply a wealth management firm that tries to be much more holistic than a normal wealth management firm because they're looking to only serve those that are worth 20 million, 50 million, or 100 million dollars in net worth. And so that's really the, uh, the difference, just whether it's serving one family or many, many families. And the way we come in, we, we are a thought leader for the entire space. So uh, at familyoffices.com, we have webinars, newsletters, videos. Obviously, we have the Family Office podcast. And then every quarter, we have a 300 to 500 person Family Office conference that we hold uh, in the United States here. And so through that, we naturally meet many families that want to start their own single family office. And we just help them with starting and managing their single family offices and help bring great deal flow uh, to them. So that's, that's our role in the space, like thought leader. And then we leverage that into gaining relationships where we can be really helpful. And I would say that, um, you know, in business, there's some things you do that makes some money. And then there's some things you do that you just know is providing so much genuine value that it's actually a lot of fun. And it's hard to describe in the right way, but I think some business owners know what I'm talking about. We just have a lot of fun really helping run the single family offices because we get to leverage our executive search division, the crazy amount of deal flow we get by running privateequity.com and our 42 different LinkedIn groups and our conferences bring us great deal flow and we can introduce, you know, a billionaire family to 20 other billionaire families. So just, they feel the value and we just like feel good about you know, that transfer of value. So that's what we have fun doing every day. Fantastic, mate. And I know that you, I don't know, I've read a little bit about you and a few books of yours, but in terms of providing that education to the financial world, you know, on the family office space, since your time in the industry, how have you seen it evolve? And, and I might not know, I might already know the answer to the second part of the question, but 
how much have you influenced the the evolution through your education programs, seminars, your, your your the networks that you're creating right now, and sort of shining a light on on this sort of space? Um, well, there's two evolutions that are happening. One is the space maturing, and there's many more family offices. You're starting to see the word family office in the press sometimes, but almost nobody knows what a family office is. Some of my best friends still think that I advise home-based businesses when I say family office, and it's like the opposite, right? It's like the people who are worth a billion dollars. But uh, I, So that's one thing that's changing. But then inside that, there's like a there's change going on in terms of the generational management of family offices. You know, I'm not 85 years old. You know, as you can, you know, probably see if you see the picture on my my book or my website. And as the generation of thirty and forty year olds become managing directors, portfolio managers, CIOs, and I have some friends now that are CEOs of billionaire family offices, that's changing the industry. And each financial collapse presses people to start their own single family office and have more direct control do direct investments into something rather than investing through a fund or a private bank. And so, you know, my influence, I mean, we've provided massive education. So on some level, I think we've killed part of the consulting business. We don't like to do consulting. Uh, you know, we'd love to be an extension of a single family office, but we just kind of give that away as a sacrificial cow. We try to put, you know, about 700, 700 hours of work went into writing our book on single family offices. And so we just kind of give away the consulting advice to build friends space and so i think that's definitely changed the space it used to be consultants who are out there charging 400 dollars an hour to give away the to talk about the fundamentals i just give away in my book and then the only other thing that's changed that would definitely influenced is that when i started you, know, you couldn't get a white paper on the space unless you paid 500 dollars, and the webinars were 500 dollars, and membership to learn anything was a twenty thousand a year and now you know we've changed that because we're a little bit of a freemium model you know we charge people who are not family offices to attend our events but if you're a family office, you shouldn't have to pay $500 for a white paper to learn about the ABCs of the space. We just think that relationship is worth far more than $20,000 a year long term. So we just, we're like more long term greedy about it. So we've kind of, you know, annoyed some of our elders in the space perhaps a little bit, but we're just being a more helpful provider of thought leadership, you know, long term to the space. And that's like the only big impact we've made. The rest of the growth, I can't claim to be, you know, the creator of that or family offices forever so right well i think that's that as we evolve in this time of you know tr- providing information really quickly on our iphones or on our tablets or whatever and information is becoming a lot easier to find and, and, and free so well done mate i know a lot of people out there you know love to raise a ton of money for their real estate deals and you're a side by advisor to a couple of billionaire families how does one get introduced to these types of people and be trusted enough with their money to provide advice on which investment to to buy essentially you know, I got asked this by a private bank. They said, how do we hunt down these families? And uh, it made me think, you know, we don't really hunt them down, like, you know, splashing through a lake with a spear, trying to like catch a fish. We try to be the grizzly bear at the waterfall that just catches them is where we know where they're swimming. So, for example, if we know that a, a constant headache for families is meeting their peers or figuring out their family office governance procedures or figuring out how to start and form their family office, then we just try to provide a lot of value there. And then we're naturally contacted by those that are looking for help because they've read our white paper or seen us speak at an event. And anybody could apply this to their business model, whether you're a property manager listening to this in the real estate space or you're raising capital for a condo uh, development project in San Diego, 
Um, if you figure out where are the centers of influence, who are the, who are the top five most well-connected family office and ultra high net worth professionals in like La Jolla, for example, and what are the most active charitable organizations and where's the local groups meeting in that space that the demographics mean that you're worth 10 or $20 million to be able to afford to join that group. Then you can provide education and value just in that niche community um, with very little time invested. And, you know, Brian Tracy says that, uh, or actually Jeffrey Gittimer, which are both mentors of mine, said that if you provide education once a week to a very specific type of person or like an av customer avatar, and you do that once a week for an hour a week, that in one year you'll be a local expert, in two years you'll be a regional uh, expert, and then, you know, over three to five years you'll be a national or global expert on that niche. And so that's what that's what we've done, and that's my best advice I can give to other people, because just the most authentic advice I think I could give is just to choose that niche sandbox you want to play in that's worth dominating long-term and just do whatever you can to be the number one person in that area, whether it's San Diego real estate development or a Chicago-based multifamily, you know, apartment building improvement, you know, value-add type plays, et cetera. So. No, interesting. And I think that's very, very good advice. And, and being that key person of influence and uh, developing, you know, whatever educational streams you need to develop to be that key person. So well done. I wanted to jump a little bit more into how do these families, you know, how do they like to partner with other businesses and people, you know, or do they typically just want to, you know, the whole piece of the pie for themselves so they're in full control when they look at a, at a, a real estate deal, so to speak? They often do invest with each other, but many times it's based on a, a trust factor. And with real estate, many times there's a big local confidence that comes with investing you know if you do live in like northern san diego investing in la jolla is a lot less scary but if you live in denver you might not be very familiar with la jolla or if you're in singapore you might have never heard of it and so i think that who you trust based is based on many different things but i've just found that when you're trying to get deals done you know if the location or the asset itself is highly credible or local then that's one part of the trifecta that helps if the deal is coming from someone who's highly credible a publicly traded company or a very well-known entity or person, then that helps. And then who the deal is going to, having that be highly credible. You know, if you're trying to orchestrate deals, having all three of those things lined up is what de-risks the deal closing, I believe, um, you know, sure. over time. Yeah, great. And what type of parameters do these high net worth families look for with the real estate deals? Are they, I know it's probably more case by case basis. Are they looking for just really good yield, or are they looking to um, just park their money um, and and you know just just see the cash flow come in? So the most uh, annoying you know thing you'll hear in the family office space if you get a lot of events or read a lot of information on the space is. Some people will say, you know, if you know one family office, you know one family office saying like they're all different, but it's really just like a cop out for someone not wanting to be helpful, I think. So uh, I think it's kind of garbage. And so the reality is you can classify them just like insects in the Amazon jungle or, you know, the whole animal kingdom. You can classify the genius and species. And, you know, you look at family offices and you group them down by U.S. based family offices between two billion and five billion dollars in net worth. And a lot of those are going to act very similar to each other. But of course, a $40 million virtual single family office is going to act a lot different than a $10 billion plus, you know, royal family, family office out of uh, Europe. So I think when you narrow it down to a type of family office, then they are looking for very similar things. Many times in a single family office, their capital preservation strategy uh, is very sophisticated and nuanced. And they have certain things in trust vehicles 
that might be hard asset producing income and it serves a purpose there. They have certain assets that lose money on purpose by having it highly financed. They produce a, a null NOL net operating loss every year to counterbalance profits they have in other places. But then some of their core strategies are things where they try to get non-auction properties, they try to get access to things before they go on the market, or they try to get things they can buy as a portfolio and then sell off the dogs of the portfolio and keep the best parts that are you know profitable. I see families doing that quite often. And in short, they're looking for ways to use their capital to invest in ways that is strategically smarter and more profitable than the average Joe guy coming along and buying something that's on the market, repped by a broker that 20 people are bidding on. You know, unless the family's got some strategic maneuver post-close on that, they're not going to be very excited by that. They want something that, you know, they see some upside, some path to a 17, 20% IRR, you know, post-close. Got it, got it. And so with, you know, that leads me to the next question. When you counsel these families on where to place their money, how much of it is a sort of a guidance on what they've already thought out as a well thought out investment direction? Or how much is it trying to open them up to better, safer investment opportunities that will preserve their wealth long term? You know, my best client is someone who sold their business for $600 million last year and he's 46 and he read my book and he called me up and said, I need you to help me start my single family office. I'm, I'm new to being ultra wealthy and I want to figure out what mistakes that would take me five years to make on my own. I want to avoid those and help me get better access to deal flow. So we had a, this type of a conversation. And in short, if somebody's made their money in an area or you see how they've made their money, like what strategies they've used to get, get there, it's smart, of course, to dedicate percentage, whether it's 10, 20, or 60% of their portfolio to that area or a similar parallel area that draws on their strengths and plays to their strengths. And as Dan Solomon would say, their unique abilities, like just dive into that, create a team around them. It reduces time chaos and decision chaos and management chaos so they can focus on their unique ability. So that at the core is important. And then the first step I always take while creating a family charter document for these families is to Identify their mission, their values, their objectives, their time frame, their their risk appetite, and the reasons behind all those things. And we document that and we create this 20, 30 page family charter document based on about 70 different questions that I go through with them. And based on all that, you have kind of a compass on where to go. And the compass is telling us where to go, and then it's my job to help them build that roadmap. And they might have very strong opinions about some things that of course we follow, because at the end of the day we're doing what they want to do. But many times they say, well, I'd like to buy operating businesses, or I'd like to invest in real estate. It will help maybe help interpret the stage of the marketplace in terms of being defensive, doing some debt deals with equity warrants instead of just going in on equity for an operating business, perhaps. Or if they say, well, we want to do an operating business, we can help guide them on getting deal flow that's got a higher EBITDA margin or is going to be more practical for them to operate because they might not want to operate it day to day. They need to have leadership in place and maybe certain businesses lend itself to that type of a scenario versus not. So we help guide them within channels, but every once in a while we'll ask them, you know, have you ever considered peer-to-peer debt lending, you know, for part of your portfolio? Have you ever considered apartment buildings in an area that might be redeveloped in the next 10 to 15 years that produces cash flow instead of just sitting on these land banks that produce no cash flow? You know, so trying to help them reposition and provide suggestions, you know, as part of the fun. And uh, the best part about it is these guys are some of the smartest people in society and that's how they've kind of won the game of capitalism and became ultra wealthy in most cases. So right. that, that always keeps things interesting. Right, right. And uh, I guess that's sort of a, I, I have heard you 
you know talk a little bit about on passing wealth from generation to generation and, and so how do you do any much damage control when you come in to a maybe an exi- a family with a lot of money uh, to avoid losing it all because you know as I said I, I have heard you speak on that as generations grow it can the, the wealth can tend to dwindle so what is are there any measures you, you you like to advise the families to try and preserve it for forever essentially right that could be a, a whole hour podcast, <laughs> I could imagine yeah because, uh, <laughs> the, the problem is so multifold of uh, when families become ultra wealthy then they're not usually that next generation is not brought up in the same demanding environment that breeds entrepreneurs. You know, if you end up going to a forty thousand dollar a year grade school and flying around on a private jet in Monaco, it's pretty hard to, you know, make them realize that money in the world overall is relatively scarce. You have to work hard for your place in the world and be resourceful and somewhat thrifty, even when you're worth a hundred million dollars a year, your money will dwindle. The other problem is lots of families say, oh, well, we want to get the next generation involved, so we're going to have them run the foundation and have them be giving away money to charitable organizations. And it's like, what are you embedding in their brain that money is free, money is everywhere, and we should give it away all day long? You know, what do you think is going to happen to the family money? It's going to go away. Uh, if that's the plan, then that's perfectly fine. And if um, the family says, our goal is to give back in this generation, then that's perfectly fine. But they, you know, those same families obviously can't be surprised if the money dwindles when they're training the next generation to be really good at giving away money instead of making it. And I also think that um, a lot of families spoil the next generation to an extreme. And the best thing I've heard in this area is to create something like a family bank that maybe would pay for higher education and education, maybe down payment on a house. But otherwise, I think it's smart for families to hold back any other money to prevent you know, Ferraris being bought without earning it, et cetera, and only provide money for business ventures that the elders of the family have all approved and given feedback for and maybe helped structure the board for and de-risked a bit. And in that way, the family is injecting, giving away money only to ventures that have a, you know, statistical chance of succeeding versus just paying for a $15,000 a month rental loft in Soho or in La Jolla again or something like that. And you know, just living the good life and not having earned it, I think it could like breed entrepreneurial spirit to just f- use the money to fund ventures if you do want to propel the family name for generations. So again, that could be like for sure a whole hour topic. And I love talking about it because I just hear so many families, well, the media for sure portrays it two ways. They portray it as these families get rich and they lose their money. You know, these dumb families, they lose their money. But a lot of these people, they don't want their kids to be spoiled. So they do give it away on purpose. Um, so some of that is, you know, not the same family is, is whining about losing it when they're trying to give it away. They're giving it away on purpose. But the other thing the media does is make the families look very greedy. If they do want to hold on to the money, they say, look at these families from grade school. They're teaching them how to manage money. And from grade school, they're teaching them the, the spirit of capitalism and how to grow a business. But isn't that what, you know, we should be doing with almost all of our kids is teach them how the world works and how to create value in the world. And, um, at least giving them common sense with money so we don't all have $80,000 in student debt and the average American is $10,000 in credit card debt, I think it is, or it used to be. So, I mean, the media likes to portray it one of those two ways. The reality is much more nuanced and there's you know thousands of family offices just in the, you know, just in the, the East Coast or the Northeast alone. So there's all different scenarios going on with that. But it's interesting to 
to watch and uh, watch people comment on for sure. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Richard, I know you've spoken all over the world and this podcast is all about helping international investors break into the US real estate market. So are you actively working with any foreign family offices buying US real estate right now? I've got a potential new business partner that focuses just on Russian families. He's had a lot of success with helping the Russian families get access to U.S. deal flow. And then I have a couple of neighbors here, uh, family offices that live in Key Biscayne as well, that solely focus on Brazilian families that want to invest in real estate here in the United States. With us, we have about 20% of the families who come to our U.S.-based family office conferences are actually foreign families looking for investments here. So most of our work and our interactions are uh, through those events, we have agreements in place with two families currently, and we're negotiating like redlining a third with a $10 billion family from Europe right now that's got about uh, $2 billion in, in real estate holdings. So we're definitely growing our work in that area. And what I find is that because the U.S. is the number one place of migration for the ultra wealthy, the centimillionaires and billionaires globally, that there is an ever-present demand for access to good deal flow in the United States. And it's typically apartment buildings, sometimes trophy assets such as office buildings if they have kind of boots on the ground to help reposition and renegotiate leases, et cetera. And then self-storage is a big investment area as well. But definitely that's a big trend. I don't see that ever slowing down. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad I'm providing the right podcast then. <laughs> but um, mate, I know you're a busy man and you've got uh, meetings to be at, so I'm going to wrap this uh, this interview up. But I just one last question before you jump off the line is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation about the family office industry and to learn more about what you do? And if, if you know someone's out there listening right now and thinking, hey, I need to talk, contact Richard, where could they go? So the best place to go is just familyoffices.com. We have our quarterly conferences, our family office podcast is on there, newsletters, webinars, et cetera. So we just have a ton of resources for free at familyoffices.com. But I'd say the other two things that'd be really quick is just on Amazon. You know, we spent 700 hours writing our book called The Single Family Office, creating, operating, and managing investments of a single family office. And there's about 40 video modules in there for free that we recorded in 10 different countries. We just tried to pack like a ton of value in there. It's literally like five bucks to buy the book. I mean, guarantee everyone will love it or literally we'll give your money back. We've never had anyone ask for that, but we would if anyone listening reads it and hates it and thinks it was a waste of their time. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's a good resource for people as well. Fantastic. And I'm going to summarize all those links in the show notes. Richard, you are truly an incredible guy and an absolute wealth of knowledge. And I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you today to understand more about the multifamily uh, industry here in the United States. And I guess sort of globally, because you are starting to branch out into Russia and Europe and Brazil. Truly fascinating stuff, mate. But thanks for dropping in and chatting with us. Have a great rest of your week and uh, we'll catch up soon. I'm going to have to attend one of your events on the East Coast or if it ever comes to the West Coast, I'd love to, to get involved. Yeah, I'd love to have you there as our guest. Hope we get to meet you in person there soon. And thanks for having me on the show. Fantastic, Richards. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you. Well, there you have it. A great insight into understanding what is a family office and how it sort of really works with these high net worth individuals. I know a lot of people out there would you know, be thinking to themselves, geez, what do all the really, really ultra wealthy places, where do they invest? You know, Well, they, they have teams and Richards is one of those sort of founding guys in, in a team that helps guide these high net worth families to making the right investment decisions to preserve their wealth. So really, really incredible stuff. I have, had, I have read his book. It's in a really, really great book. So jump on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com to follow all the links to Richards' website. Uh, check out his podcast. It's on iTunes. It's called The Family Office Podcast. 
ton of ton of great information out there just to learn and even if you're not a wealthy family just to learn more about that space and maybe how pick up some tips on how you can raise capital i think richard spoke really really well about how positioning yourself in a, in a certain market in a certain niche um, to high net worth individuals will help you close on more deals and raise more money so thanks again guys for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge i know you would have got a lot of cracking information out of today's show because that's what we're all about here on the show growing your financial iq as always you can follow me on facebook on twitter by searching rsm property group or reed goosens and remember to go to my website and sign up for my newsletter to keep um, up to date on all the latest deals that we're doing any events that we have coming up in some local areas because we're starting now to branch outside of los angeles and if you do like this show please jump on itunes and give it a five-star review we really would appreciate it as it helps us grow out the community of international listeners eager to invest in the US. So until next week, take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.